thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in our world today, there's a lot of prejudice among people, prejudice against different races, different nationalities, prejudice against uh, different lifestyles that people live, different sexual orientation, different backgrounds, different political views, different religions. Uh, And so, you know, we have this, you know, predominantly in our culture today. And, you know, I think we see it more than ever because of the rise of social media. Everyone wants to kind of give their opinion and share their comments. and, And through the comments, you start to see a lot more of the prejudice that people have coming out uh, and the things that they post on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. And, you know, and I was saddened this week, you know, after we have this tragedy in Orlando uh, with, you know, so many people losing their lives in the gay nightclub and, and people who are, you know, claiming to be Christians posting basically things that, you know, they got what they deserved, you know, because they're gay. And, you know, and it's just so sad to me because, you know, when we allow our prejudice as Christians, you know, to get in the way of loving people and, and demonstrating the love of Christ to people and sharing the gospel with people. Uh, it's such a, a sad state of affairs. And, you know, all of us growing up in this society, we develop certain prejudice towards others. It's just something that we have to deal with. But when we get saved, the issues really oftentimes stay with us for a little bit of time. And, and we need God to work those things out of us. You know, those prejudice that we come to Christ with, oftentimes, you know, I see many Christians kind of hold on to them for a while. And we need the Lord to work in us so that we no longer allow those things to keep us from reaching people with God's love. And, you know, if you want the heart of God for people... There's no place for prejudice in your life. If you want to reach people for God, there's no place for prejudice in your life. The reason I bring all this up is because here in Acts chapter 10, we have one of the most significant turning points in the early church. I would say the most significant is the, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is given. But here's probably the next most significant turning point because we now have God working, starting in the life of Peter and moving through the Jewish culture, helping them overcome one of the most uh, big prejudice they had. And that was a prejudice towards Gentiles, towards those who were not Jews. And it hindered them from going and sharing the gospel, sharing the love of God with those people. And so this morning, we're going to focus on two men, two men that God had called to reach Gentiles. And both these men are Jewish, and they're called to reach non-Jewish people. And those two men are going to be Peter And we're also going to cross-reference and look at Jonah. Two guys that had been called to reach Gentiles, and we're going to see two very different responses to the prejudice that they had, because both had prejudice against Gentiles. Peter overcomes his prejudice, and as we're going to see, Jonah did not. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 10. And, and, and God really used this passage in Romans chapter 10 to burden my heart for missions. And, you know, as I was a missionary for 11 years, and uh, this is something that, you know, I feel like all of us as believers should just, you know, soak in. It says uh, in verses 13 through 15, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how should they believe on in him in whom they've not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? 
And how should they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Notice this verse clearly says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who receives the gospel will be saved, regardless of their nationality, their race, their background, the sinful lifestyle that they were in. If they will believe the gospel, call in the name of Jesus, they'll be saved. But you know what? It goes on to say, how are they ever going to hear that gospel message so that they can receive it unless someone shares it with them, unless someone goes out and proclaims it to them? This world that we live in is in desperate need of the gospel. We see tragedy after tragedy. We see the wickedness and the evil in our world today. They need Jesus. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet, how are they going to hear? Unless believers like us who know it, go out and proclaim it. Go out and share it with them. There are a lot of lost people in the world today that need to accept the gospel. People of different races, people of different nationalities, different social statuses different religious backgrounds, different sexual preferences, different lifestyles. But how are they going to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for them unless we are willing to go and share the gospel with them? You know, our prejudice against certain groups can keep us from doing that, can hinder us from reaching the world with the most important message that they need to hear. I find that when it comes to people who are of the same race, nationality, social status, background as ourselves, we find that a lot easier to minister to them, to reach out to them, to share the gospel with them. But what happens when God calls you to reach a group that's very different than you? Reach a group that perhaps you don't really like, perhaps you have prejudice towards. How are you going to respond if God calls you to reach someone in that particular group? This morning we're going to look at how Peter, how Jonah respond to God's call to share the gospel with people that they didn't like, that they had prejudice against, that they had a lot of issues with. And as we look at those prejudices and we look at how Peter overcomes it and how Jonah does not, I want you to think about groups in your own life, people groups that perhaps you have prejudice or issue with or struggle with going and sharing and allow the Lord to minister to you this morning and help you overcome those things and see the significance of not allowing those things to get in the way of what he wants to do. Before we start looking at Peter and Jonah, and you know, sometimes we think, well, well, what was the big deal? Why did Jews have such an issue with Gentiles, with those who were non-Jewish? Now, I want to try to get you into the mindset of the Jews at the time of Peter so that we can kind of understand why this would be difficult to be called to reach people like us. I don't know if there's any Jewish people here. I think we're all Gentiles. But, you know, most Jewish men would begin every day with the prayer, thanking God that they're not a slave, they're not a woman, and they're not a Gentile. Sadly, they despised all three. Uh, They didn't want to be any of those things. And and so they would start their prayer every day with, oh, Lord, we're so grateful we're not Gentiles. We're so grateful that you made us Jews. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the day of the New Testament was an oath that promised that a Gentile would never, a Jew would never help a Gentile in any circumstance for directions or even as extreme as, you know what, even if a woman who is a Gentile in her greatest hour of need and she's giving birth, Hey, we're not going to help her because all that's going to do is bring another Gentile baby into the world. They were very anti and horrible in their mindset to Gentiles. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Jewish community would have a funeral for that Jew and consider them dead. It was thought that even to enter a Gentile's house made you completely unclean. And so they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it at all. Ancient Jewish writings tell us of a Gentile woman who came to a rabbi 
She confessed that she was a sinner and asked to be admitted to a Jewish, into the Jewish faith. Rabbi, she said, bring me near. The rabbi refused and simply shut the door in her face. You know, Jews thought that God was partial to them. They actually thought that God had a hatred towards Gentiles. Many Jewish writers said that basically Gentiles, their only purpose was to fuel the fire of hell. And so there was this mindset that we're the only people, we're the chosen people, and everyone else is just kind of forsaken by God. Now, we've noted through the Gospels that the Jews missed a lot. They missed a lot about who the Messiah was. I mean, there's 315 prophecies concerning who Jesus was. They should have been aware of Jesus because he fulfilled those things. They missed a lot of the heart of God. And there's one area throughout Jewish history that they missed the heart of God. They missed the heart of God that the Jewish nation was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to reach out to the Gentiles. They were supposed to share God with the Gentiles, which they didn't do. But the other thing that they missed, which is throughout the Old Testament, is that God shows no partiality. But they thought he did. Oh, God is very partial to us. We are the chosen people. We're the great ones. God doesn't care about Gentiles. He only cares about us Jews. There are many Old Testament passages that deal with this truth. Deuteronomy 10, 17 is one of them. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. You know, the Jews allowed national pride. They allowed racial prejudice to blind their heart to the fact that God doesn't show partiality, that God loves all people, not just Jewish people. And in this chapter this morning, we're going to see God teach Peter a very important lesson, especially with regard to his upbringing and this mindset that Jews were superior in the eyes of God to everyone. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, a lesson that he had learned. It says this, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, many Jews didn't understand the heart of God. That God desires that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. Their mindset was more that God desires that Jews would come to repentance and that Jews wouldn't perish. But no, God's heart was far beyond the Jewish nation, to every nation. I think, sadly, there are many Christians today that don't understand this heart of God as well. An important question to ask ourselves is, do we understand the heart of God that he isn't willing that any should perish, but that he wants all to come to repentance? Every religious background, every nationality, every race, every social status, every sinful lifestyle, whatever people are going through and whatever they're in, God loves them and wants to reach them. And I want you to ask yourself, do you really believe that? Do you really uh, demonstrate that with your actions towards reaching people? Or are there groups where you kind of say, oh, they're beyond reach or, oh, I'm not going to be used because I have whatever issue with them. God loves them all. God wants all of them to get saved. There's not one person that God doesn't love, not one person that God didn't give his life on the cross for, not one person that he doesn't want to receive salvation. That's the heart that God has, and that's the heart that he wants you and I to have as well. No matter who they are, no matter what their race is, no matter what their nationality is, no matter what their lifestyle is, God wants to reach them. You know, if I'm honest with myself, throughout my life, there have been groups of people that I've struggled to love. Groups of people that view life different than me. 
that live life different than me. And I think we have that natural tendency when people view life and live life differently than us that we struggle. We struggle with them. We struggle with their perspective of life. We struggle with how they live life. And oftentimes there's this barrier that comes of prejudice towards them and we really kind of want nothing to do with them. We don't want them in our life. We don't want to try to reach them. We don't want to try to love them. We don't want to try to share the gospel with them. Peter and Jonah, two men who struggled to love Gentiles because of their prejudice towards them. A good question for us to ask ourselves as we look at this this morning, will we allow our prejudice to get in the way of sharing God's love with the lost world that desperately needs it? You know, I remember several years back, I was asked to come. Uh, I was over in Scotland. They asked me to come to Hungary to Calvary Chapel's Bible College over there uh, to speak during their speaker's week. And so I went over there and, you know, I love to try to encourage people, especially those who are wanting to be on the mission field. And there was this Russian girl and, you know, she came and said, you know, I just want to ask you different questions about how you got to the mission field. And and she's sharing with me and, and you know, and we're, as we're talking, she says, you know, there's only three places I wouldn't go and you're in one of them. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to go to UK. I don't want to go to France. I don't want to go to Spain. And okay, well, well, why is that? Well, it's full of rich, snobby people, and I just can't minister to rich, snobby people. And, you know, she was a, you know, her background, she was a very poor Russian girl. And so I just asked her, I said, you know, do you believe that God wants to reach rich, snobby people with the gospel? Do you believe that God loves rich, snobby people? Well, yes. And I just challenged her, you know, if you really want to be a missionary, if you really want to be sent out by God, you have to have a heart for everyone, a love for everyone. You can't have, well, I'm only going to minister to the poor and forget the those who are rich and snobby, you know, to have a heart that says, regardless of their background, regardless of what they're like, I want to see God reach them. She probably didn't even realize until we had that conversation how much she was allowing her own prejudice of growing up poor and having rich, snobby people look down on her, impact her now that she's going to go out and share the gospel. She's like, well, that's a group I'm never going to go to. That's a group I'm never going to reach. And how sad it is when sometimes we come to that place and allow our prejudice to keep us from reaching people that God wants to reach. Before we look at how Peter and Jonah respond to their prejudice, look at, let's look at the people that God brings, or at least specifically to Peter, the ones who are desperately in need of the gospel. Starting Acts chapter 10, verse 1 says this, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will let tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him, had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Luke tells us about a man named Cornelius. Cornelius lived in Caesarea. At the time that this was written, Caesarea was basically a predominantly Roman-occupied uh, group. It is in Israel, as you can see here uh, on the map, but uh, it was actually the place where Pontius Pilate and, and a lot of the, the Roman governors uh, wanted to be. They wanted to be out of the heat. They wanted to be near the coast. Uh, and so it was very uh, much a predominantly Roman area, even though it was in uh, Israel. And so, you know, there's this man named 
Cornelius that's there. And we're given some information about Cornelius. One of the things we're told that he was a centurion of the Italian regiment. So Cornelius is a Roman officer. Uh, and I want you to picture this because now remember as we look through Luke's gospel, you know, Rome is occupying Israel. They're very brutal to Israel. You know, Israel hates the fact that they're governed by Rome, that they're occupied by Rome. And the reason that they fear Rome is because of Rome's army who brutally, you know, holds Israel down and does what is necessary to keep Israel under control. And so, you know, Roman soldiers were, you know, if you had prejudice towards any Romans, the soldiers were kind of at the top of the list, and officers, even worse. According to Bible commentator Lenski, there were 32 Italian regiments stationed in different providences of the Roman Empire, and they were all led by centurions who were viewed as the most loyal Romans of all. And so this guy, you know, would have been seen even worse. Like, not only is he a Roman, he's a Roman soldier. Not only is he a Roman soldier, he's a centurion. And the centurions are these loyal men to Rome, and Rome occupies us. And so there would have been a lot of reason for someone like Peter or any Jew to have prejudice, because they already have prejudice against Gentiles, and very much so against Rome, to have a prejudice against this man, Cornelius. So we, we hear this about Cornelius, but we're given some positive things about Cornelius because most Romans would not have what is said in verse 2 of them. We're told Cornelius was a devout man, a man who feared God, prayed to God always, and gave alms generously to those who were in need. You know, Cornelius is in a category that Jews called God-fearers. And this was an interesting thing. Those who were Gentiles, who believed in the Jewish God, the God of the, you know, Bible, uh, but, you know, they, they had sympathy, they were sympathetic to the Jewish nation, they gave alms, they prayed to God, but they didn't go as far as converting to Judaism and especially being circumcised. So, you know, they, they were, they weren't full converts, but they, they were viewed in this category as God-fearers, not, you know, converts to Judaism, but still in a in a good light. And so we see Cornelius, you know, he grew up in a very pagan Roman Empire with, you know, a, all these different gods. And now he's at a place where he's kind of recognizing, hey, I want to pray to the God of, you know, the Jews here that they serve. And he he's a man who gives alms. He's a man who prays. And he's seeking God. He's praying to God. And, and while he's praying, notice what transpires. He has this vision of an angel of God coming to him and saying, Cornelius. And as probably most people would, he gets afraid. <laughs> Whoa, what's going on here? He hears someone and sees this vision of someone speaking to him. And, and then the angel responds to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And so the angel says, hey, because you've been seeking God and, and giving to God, you know, it's come up to a memorial before God, and now he has something for you. He has something he wants to do for you. Send for Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon the Tanner. He's down by the sea in Joppa. Send some guys for him that he might come to you, because through him, I want to do something for you. And so Cornelius sends some guys to get Peter. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Notice Jesus says, for everyone who knocks, seeks, asks. 
Not, well, for, for Jewish people or for, for this group or for that group. He says, you know what? Anyone who comes to me, anyone who's seeking me, anyone who desires to find me, I will reveal myself to them. That's the heart of God. God reveals himself to everyone who desires to see him. I'm sure many of you this morning can relate to Cornelius. You were once seeking God, and God chose to reveal himself to you. And aren't you glad that God shows no partiality? I know I am. Aren't you glad that God loves everyone? Aren't you glad that God was willing to reach out to you, to send people to share the gospel to you? So God has reached out to Cornelius, who's ready for the gospel, but now he needs someone to share it. Now he needs someone to proclaim it. As we started with that passage in Romans, hey, great, everyone who receives the gospel will be saved, but yet they got to hear it. And so Cornelius is in a place, he's already God-fearing, he's already open, he's ready, but now God needs to send someone. And so now God's going to prepare the one he's going to send, Peter. Notice what's said in verse 6, or 9, sorry. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. You know, I love how we see God working here. On one side, we see God preparing Cornelius to receive the gospel. But on the other side, we see God preparing Peter to share the gospel. Because both things are necessary for the gospel to go out and be received. So Cornelius is, is being you know, prepared by God to receive it. And now Peter is being prepared by God to share it. And something I think important to note about both these men is notice God speaks to them, but he speaks to both of them while they're doing the same thing, while they're praying. You know, this is something that I find as a pastor, you get so many people that come and, you know, I want God to speak to me and, and can, you know, what do I need to do? Well, oftentimes we do want God to speak to us, but we don't want to take the time to stop and listen. We don't want to take the time to pray. We don't want to take the time to dig into his word. And so it's just like, as I'm going through my day, Lord, just speak instead of, all right, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to give you time to speak. I'm confident God wants to speak to all of us, but too often we allow the busyness of life to keep us from taking time to sit before him and listen. And so both of these guys are in prayer, and it's during their times of prayer that God speaks to both of them and does this preparatory work in both of them. Well, Peter's praying during lunchtime, and I'm sure if any of you have ever prayed during lunchtime or dinner time or breakfast time, you know, your, your stomach starts to grumble, you start to get hungry. And as people are preparing the food, Peter now has this vision. So he's hungry and he has this vision. And notice this vision that he has. He gets into this trance and, and coming down from heaven is this sheet. And in the sheet are a bunch of Four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, birds of the air. Basically, this sheet was full of a lot of non-kosher animals. And so Peter's seeing this. He's very hungry. He sees all these animals that Jews are not allowed to eat. 
And, and he sees it. And notice what transpires is as Peter sees these non-kosher animals, a voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now try to picture yourself, you know, you're a Jewish man. Never in your whole life have you ever eaten any of these animals. You know, they're non-kosher. You've never allowed anything to touch your lips of this. And all of a sudden, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And notice Peter's response to this. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Peter's saying, I've never eaten anything non-kosher. I've never eaten any of these animals. I'm not doing it now. I'm not starting it now. Peter hears a voice a second time which God has cleansed, you must not call common. This happens three times. It's interesting, you see in Peter's life, a lot of things happen in threes. He denied Jesus three times. When Jesus came back to restore him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now he has this vision three times, really to sink into Peter's mind to try to get what's going on here. And God's revealing something very important to Peter when he says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common common. What God has cleansed, what God has declared clean, you must not call common, impure, unholy, unacceptable to God. You see, in the Old Testament thinking, there was what is holy and there was what is common. Things that were common, when they came in touch with something that was holy, it would make that holy thing common. And the only way to get it holy again would be go through some ritual cleansing. When something was made holy, it was called consecration. When something was made common, it was called desecration. Now, this vision that Peter had has nothing to do with food. And God wants him to get it. God wants him to kind of see. There, there's, so I'm using this as to, to reveal a much bigger message to you, Peter. God is trying to help Peter see that Peter views Gentiles as common. They're impure. They're unholy to God. There's people that God doesn't want to reach. But God wants Peter to understand what God has cleansed you must not call common. Jesus' death on the cross, Peter, didn't just die for the sins of the nation of Israel. He died for the sins of the world. It doesn't just cleanse those who believe who are Jews. It cleanses those who believe who are Gentiles as well. Don't call common, Peter, what I've cleansed. I want you to see that I want to reach everyone. God uses a vision of non-kosher food to help make that point. You know, I'm encouraged by this vision because we see God preparing Peter for what God's about to have Peter to do. God knows this is going to be difficult. God knows throughout Peter's life, he was bound by certain traditions and certain viewpoints towards Gentiles that to say, Peter, I want you to go reach Gentiles would be something that would be very difficult for him. God realizes that. God knows that. And so God is now preparing Peter because he knows I'm about to call you to do something that's going to be hard for you, that's going to go out of your comfort zone, that's going to go against your upbringing. And I want you to change your viewpoint. I want you to change how you view me. I want you to change how you view others. And so God realizes this is going to be difficult for Peter, so I'm going to start this preparatory work in him. I'm going to give him this vision to help prepare him for what I'm about to ask him to do. And the reason I love that is because God knows you. He knows me. He knows our struggles. He knows our upbringing. He knows our background. He knows that when he calls us to do certain things, there are certain things that are going to be difficult for us. And so he doesn't just throw us in there and say, well, you know, just I'm going to toss you in the deep end. You need to learn how to swim. You know, he prepares us. When God calls you to do something, he will give you the strength and the ability to accomplish it. He will prepare you for what he calls you to do. It's important to note that in the eyes of God, there are really basically only two categories of people. 
For the Jews at that time, their two categories was, yeah, there's Jew and there's Gentile. No, really the two categories of people that God sees are sinners in need of salvation and sinners that have received salvation. And we need to remember that all of us were in that category of sinners in need of salvation. And I think sometimes we forget where we were. We forget what it was like. We forget that reality that we once were lost, sinful people. And it was someone that God sent to us with the gospel that enabled us to receive it, that enabled us to be changed. And you know what? We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve to hear the gospel. We didn't deserve the free gift of salvation that Jesus gave to us. We didn't deserve God to send someone to us. And how dare we get into this place where we judge who is deserving of the gospel and not? You know what? I'll share the gospel with this group that I'm like and I have similar views with and, and you know, that are our same race and nationality, but I'm not going to share the gospel with this group because they're different than me and I have issues with them and, and whatever it is that keeps us away. How dare we get to that place where we start to judge who is worthy of hearing the gospel and who is not, who we are willing to share with and who we're not. There was a man in the Bible who thought that there were people that God's grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness were not for. That man was Jonah, a prophet of God. Loved to go and share God's words to the nation of Israel. Happy to do that at any moment. But God says, you know what? I have a message for you, Jonah. And the people that I want you to send it to are the Ninevites. And at that time, the Ninevites was one of the most wicked cities there were. I want you to go to them. I want you to tell them in 40 days, I'm going to wipe you out unless you turn and repent. Jonah, he doesn't want to go do it. He doesn't, he has huge prejudice towards Gentiles, towards the Ninevites. And so instead of being obedient to God, Jonah decides, you know what? There's no way I'm doing that. And he flees. He goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat heading for Tarshish. As you can see from the map, Nineveh's up here, Joppa's there, Tarsus is there. He's trying to go in the exact opposite direction of where God wants him to be. You know the story. As he's on his boat journey, a huge storm comes. It's sinking the boats. All the people on board are freaking out. They're throwing things overboard. And finally, the captain has everyone draw lots to see who is the cause of all this calamity. The lot falls on Jonah. Jonah tells everybody he realizes he's the cause. He realizes he's running from God. And he says, throw me overboard. At first, they're like, no, we're not throwing you overboard. They start throwing other things overboard. Finally, the storm is so bad, they toss Jonah overboard. Right when he goes overboard, the storm ceases. But then things get a little worse for Jonah. God sends a great fish, swallows him up. He's in that fish for three days, three nights. That fish vomits him up on dry land. God once again says, Jonah... I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. Well, Jonah stubbornly now realizing I better be obedient after what just transpired. He goes. He doesn't go because he has a heart to reach these people. He doesn't go because he wants to see them repent. He goes only because of what's just transpired. And and he starts preaching. 40 days, you guys are going to be wiped out. Jonah didn't believe what was going to transpire. Probably most people wouldn't. The whole entire city of Nineveh repents. And God, as he always does, forgives them. I want you to think about this. Imagine going through the cities of the city of Houston. Imagine preaching God's judgment was going to come on all sinful people here and 40 days you're all going to be wiped out. And imagine millions of people responding with, you know what? We want forgiveness. We want to repent. 
and just this huge revival taking place. How would you feel about that response? You're going around telling everyone, you know, God's judgment's coming and everyone you think is just going to blow you off or ridicule you, they respond with repentance. You would think, wow, what a great revival. What a great move of God. I hope you would be super excited about that. I cannot believe this whole city has changed. This whole city has repented. This wicked group is now repenting of their sin. I would hope that we would see that as just an amazing, wonderful thing. But sadly, that's not how Jonah looked at it. Notice we're told how Jonah responds in Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Then God saw their works that they turned away from, they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarsus, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's extremely upset that God would have the audacity to forgive people who are repenting of their sins. Notice what he says. He totally understands who God is. I mean, it's a, it's a great line that, that he brings. You know, this is why I left because I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger. I know you're loving. I know that you would forgive. Well, great, Jonah. What's the problem? Why do you have an issue with God being that way? Because it's prejudice. He hated those people. He didn't want those people to be saved and forgiven. He wanted them to be judged. His prejudice got in the way of wanting to reach them. And notice how he finishes it. It's kind of mind-boggling. I mean, imagine you are walking through the streets of Houston and you see millions of people come to the Lord and your response is, God, just kill me. That's Jonah. Kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than see this happen. I I can't believe that you forgave these people, God. You know what? Just kill me. It's better that, that I'm no longer here. I mean, imagine the prejudice that has to be in your life for you to conclude that. Jonah was bitter. He was angry that God was showing grace and mercy and forgiveness to wicked Gentiles. You know, God help us that we would never be like Jonah. God help us that we would never have that kind of heart towards any group of people. That we would get so hardened and so prejudiced to them that we would only want God's judgment upon them instead of recognizing, Lord, we want to see you change them. We want to see you work in them. We want to see these wicked, horrible people come to know you. We just saw the huge transformation in the life of Saul to Paul. He was a murderer of Christians. I mean, if everyone you're thinking, well, Lord, just strike him down and send him to hell. He deserves it. Look how many believers he's killing. But yet the Lord says, no, no, no. I want to reach this man. I want to save this man. And I want to use this man in powerful ways. God help us that our prejudice towards people would never cause us to want to see them judged forever in hell instead of see them receive the gospel and receive forgiveness and spend eternity in heaven. You know, Jonah preached the gospel to a group of people that he had great prejudice against, but he did it unwillingly. And as they repent... As they receive God's forgiveness, he's bitter, he's angry, instead of happy for the changed lives. Realize prejudice can do huge harm to what God wants to do through us, to how God wants to reach people through us. Don't allow your prejudice to get in the way of what God wants to do. 
So Jonah fails in overcoming his prejudice. But now we're going to see how Peter responds because Peter has similar issues. Peter grew up in a similar culture. Peter has a similar view of Gentiles. And how is he going to now respond when he's in a similar position called to go reach Gentile people? What's going to happen? Verse 17. Now, while Peter was, Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent by, from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they were called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore. Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now notice at this point in time, Peter's still not sure what this vision's all about. Remember the, the non-kosher food comes down and God says, hey, don't call uh, uncommon what I have cleansed. And he's still trying to figure it out. And as he's trying to figure it out, notice the spirit of God speaks to him again. He says, behold, Peter, Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Once again, we see this preparation that God's doing in Peter. God knows that if three uh, Gentiles come to Peter's door and say, hey, we want you to come to our Gentile you know, commander's house, Peter's going to say, get lost. There's no way I'm doing that. So God says, you know what? I know you haven't fully grasped this vision yet, and so let me just be real blunt. I've sent these guys. Go with them, okay? Doubt nothing. Don't start trying to figure it out. Just, just be obedient and go. And so when they arrive, he asks, I'm, he says, I'm Peter. Uh, what do you want? They tell him and he lets them stay there the night. And in the morning, they go to Cornelius's house and Peter takes some Jewish men with them. Well, let's see what happens next. Verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things God commanded you by God. So Peter now, he's obedient. He comes to Cornelius' house. He shows up, and Cornelius has a bunch of Gentile people that he's invited, friends and family there, uh, to hear from Peter, but notice the first thing that transpires. Cornelius comes to Peter. He falls down at Peter's feet and we're told that he starts worshiping Peter. 
Peter's response is he lifts Cornelius up and says, stand up. I myself am also a man. Peter recognized something very important. There's only one person who deserves to be worshipped, and that's God. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. You should only worship God. Now, I find this interesting because you look through the Gospels and you look at Peter. Notice one of the things he always argued about. Who is the greatest? Peter wanted to be the greatest. He was a prideful guy. He didn't buy into Jesus' words that says, you know what, you're going to deny me. No, no, no. If everyone will deny you, I will die for you, Jesus. Peter was a prideful guy. Peter thought very highly of himself when he shouldn't. And I wonder back at the times of the Gospels, would Peter have responded the same? If someone came to worship Peter then, would Peter have been like, well, you know what, I am a pretty great guy. You can go ahead and do that. You know, But we see a change in him. We see God has humbled him. Obviously, him denying God was part of that process, but there's a change in the life of Peter. There's a humility now. There's a recognition that I'm just a man. I'm not the great Peter. I'm not the great apostle. I'm just a man. God's the only one who's great. And I think this is so important for each one of us to recognize about ourselves, especially when God starts to do work through our lives. Because it's easy to start to buy into the praise of people who want to pat you on the back and elevate you and exalt you, when the reality is the only one who should be elevated and exalted is God. It's the name of Jesus. And so, you know, we have to be careful when God uses us to make sure we point people to the one who really is the one who's done the work, to the one who really deserves the credit and the praise and the honor. And that's not us. And so Peter good for him. He says, hey man, get up. I'm just a man like you. Don't worship me. There's only one to be worshiped and that's God. David Dickens, who was once the mayor of New York, was riding through the city in his limousine with his wife, Joyce, Looking out the window, they recognize a man. His man, his name was John. He was someone who was a suitor for his wife earlier on, wanted to marry his wife, and his wife, you know, chose him instead. And seeing that, the mayor smiled a bit smugly at his wife, and he says, you must be so glad to be married to the powerful mayor in the limousine rather than poor John there shoveling dirt. His wife smiled. If I'd married John, he'd be with me in the mayor's limo. David Dickens' wife gave him a little humble pie there and you know, helped him to, to see things a little differently. But Peter understood he's just a man, and it's only the Lord who deserves to be worshipped, and the credit goes to him. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Don't ever try to take the glory that God deserves. Don't ever try to take the worship that God deserves. Throughout the Bible, he goes out of his way to make sure we don't do that. You want to put yourself on the shelf? You want to make it so that you're not used by God? This is a great way to do it. Just start taking the glory that God deserves. Start taking the honor. Start taking the worship. That's a great way for God just to put you aside and not use you. So after Peter stops Cornelius from worshiping him, we see Peter finally understands the point of the vision. Notice what he says. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation. You guys know it. I know it. It's totally against our traditions for me to be here with you Gentiles in your house. This shouldn't happen. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter finally gets it. The vision was God showing me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean, that God wants to change. And so Peter's now willing to go against the traditions that he was raised with, go into a Gentile's house, which was completely against what any Jew would do. He's willing to go and be obedient because he realizes God is changing things, changing his view, changing how he sees people. So Peter says, hey, I'm here. Why have you brought me? 
And so Cornelius goes and he shares about the whole vision and everything. And hey, God told me he was going to send you and that you were going to have something to say to us. So we're all ready. Peter's like, oh, God forgot to mention that one to me. But let's see how Peter responds. He's easier. He is ready. And that's what's good. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began after Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went out about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. Well, Cornelius says, we're waiting. Lord sent you to speak. And Peter, just like we've seen several times now in Acts, he's ready to proclaim the gospel. He's ready to share. Here's an opportunity. He realizes, you know what? God doesn't show partiality. And he starts with that. In truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. It finally clicks for him, something that the Old Testament did proclaim, but something that he didn't get until now. Hey, you know what? God wants to reach you guys as well. And every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This statement, God shows no partiality, goes completely against the prevailing Jewish thought. And Peter now has a huge change and it's a huge transformation in the book of Acts because now not only is it going to hit Peter, it's going to hit the Jewish culture and they're going to see Gentiles in a new light. And we need to understand this truth as well. God doesn't show partiality. God's not partial to a person's color. He sees their heart. He's not partial to their economic status. He sees their heart. He's not partial to their nationality or ethnic group. He sees their heart. Samuel says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And anyone who's willing to believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead, they're going to be saved. So after recognizing God shows no partiality, Peter preaches the gospel to these Gentiles. And and look at how he concludes the message. Whoever believes in Jesus will receive remission of sins. He gets it finally. And notice that's so important. Whoever believes, not just Jews, anyone, you Gentiles, if you will believe in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven of your sins. If you believe the truth of who Jesus is, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, you're going to be saved. Peter finally lets go of his prejudice because he realized it goes against the heart and plan of God. He doesn't allow that prejudice towards Gentiles to keep him from reaching out to them with the gospel. And are we willing to do the same? I think we need to understand our prejudice against anyone as goes against the heart and plan of God. Because God's heart is for everyone to be saved. God wants to reach everyone. And so any prejudice that we have, we need to understand that goes against the heart of God. It goes against the plan of God that he desires all to be saved and he desires to use us as believers to reach those people. Well, notice something crazy happens here as Peter is preaching the gospel message These Gentiles are hearing it, and notice what transpires starting in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. 
And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Notice this. Peter's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. They hear the gospel, and the implication is while they hear it, they accept it. And notice right away what transpires. Right as they're listening and accepting, boom, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they start speaking in tongues. And the people that Peter brings, those they say of the circumcised who've already believed in Jesus, other Jews, they're astonished. Well, why are they astonished? Because they have prejudice towards Gentiles. They did not believe that Gentiles could be saved. And even if they could be saved, they surely didn't believe they were going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is such a wonderful gift. Wasn't that just for us? Wasn't that just for Jews? What is going on? God is giving them this gift. God, through this, is showing not only Peter, but all these Jews, hey, I show no partiality. I want to reach everyone. I want to pour my spirit into everyone. I want to do this great work, not just in Jews, but in everyone across every nation. And they start to recognize it. They start to see it, this powerful work of God. They're astonished by it because it went against their preconceived notions and their prejudice. And God is helping them see his heart for people. In response to this, in response to the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, Peter says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter recognizes, man, God has given you what he's given us. We as Jews had this wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit there on the day of Pentecost, and it's been continuing, and now God has given that to you. So can anyone forbid these guys to be baptized? Because he's thinking, there's probably some Jews here that might want to forbid them. Well, wait a second, Peter. I don't know if we can baptize these guys. I mean, come on. I mean, is this really for Gentiles and this just for us Jews? And Peter's saying, well, look what God's done. Isn't that evidence enough that says God is wanting to save them? Isn't it evidence enough that God wants to do this transformation in their life? Peter gets it. These other Jews are starting to get it. It's going to take some time for the early church, who's predominantly Jewish at this point, to fully adopt this, but they're going to. And then we're going to see missionary works throughout the world because of it. So here God reveals to Peter and to the other Jews, he wants everyone to not only get saved, but to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is an extremely significant turning point in the book of Acts, where God breaks through this Jewish prejudice. Because realize, remember what Jesus says in Acts 1.8? He wants them to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I'm wondering if they were thinking, do you really mean the ends of the earth? I mean, Jerusalem, Judea, fine. Well, Samaria, at least they're half Jew. But, you know, the ends of the earth, maybe, but that's where Jesus ultimately called them to. But we've noted throughout the book of Acts, they've gone Jerusalem. They stayed there. It wasn't because of persecution that ultimately led them to Judea and Samaria. But the ends of the earth, that's all Gentile land. That was always God's heart. But he had to change the hearts of these Jewish believers to recognize that God had a heart for people beyond their culture. And now they're willing to go out and do that. And we're going to see Saul, who will be changed to Paul, being one of the most significant people that God uses to reach Gentiles. You know, there are many people in the world today like Cornelius, people who are searching for God. There are many people in the world today even more that are like the Ninevites, just living in sin totally oblivious to God, could care less about God. But in both of those groups, there are a lot of people, races, nationality, 
social backgrounds, different things that we might have some kind of prejudice against. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to allow any prejudice that we have to keep us from reaching these people with the gospel? You know, this is one of the big things that missionaries have to wrestle with. You know, am I willing to go to another culture and another land and, and share with people who are very different, who see things differently, who live differently? You know, being in Scotland for 11 years, I, I had to, you know, wrestle with. And one of the great things that I was really told is how much of your culture is your Christianity? I'm not over there to make people American. I'm over there to make people followers of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and how much of their culture is going to, you know, get in the way of me trying to do that. Hey, I'm happy with you being Scottish. I just want you to be born again followers of Jesus. If God calls you to minister to those people that you have prejudice against, are you going to, how are you going to respond? Do you respond like Peter? who God enabled him to overcome those prejudices and reach those people? Or are you going to respond like Jonah, who didn't want to do it, ultimately did it unwillingly, but when God worked, was bitter and angry that God would reach people with the gospel? Remember, you were once Cornelius, or you were once a Ninevite, and someone shared the gospel with you. God sent someone to you. God sent someone to share the good news. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. And I'm so thankful that that person didn't look at me and think, (laughs) I have a prejudice against him. I don't want anything to do with him. I'm not going to share with that guy. Don't let prejudice get in the way. Share the gospel with people, no matter what their race, nationality, social status, sinful behavior. God wants to reach them, and he wants to use us. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, I'd like to close this morning, it being Father's Day, and, you know, you look at within the spiritual battle that we face, I think that one of the the biggest targets that Satan attacks are fathers. Men in general, because God has called men to be the spiritual leaders of the home, be the spiritual leaders of the church, the spiritual leaders in the culture. And sadly, you know, we have this reality that, um, you know, is unfortunate where Satan has been very effective in attacking fathers and destroying fathers, fathers who are not taking the spiritual leadership responsibility in the home, fathers who are just abandoning their families completely. You know, you look at our culture today and you look at where fathers are at and what they've done and what Satan has been able to do. It's sad. And we're seeing a breakdown in the home and it's starting right there. And I just want to pray for the men here in our fellowship and just fathers, period, that uh, the Lord would really raise up godly men to really see the role that they have first and foremost in their home, to be the spiritual leaders, not to pass it off to the church or pass it off to someone else to say, hey, I'm the spiritual leader and I'm going to invest in my home. And then, you know, for those who don't have fathers, that we who are spiritual men would say, you know what, they need godly men in their lives and that we would look to help fill that void because the man in their house is either abandoned or not filling that role and that we would want to be examples to those young people who need to see godly men in their life. And so I just want to take some time and just leave it open and let's just pray. Let's just pray for men. Let's pray for fathers. Let's pray that the Lord would just you know, help because the enemy's he's making ground uh, and we need God's help uh, to really be godly men, godly fathers. And so I just want to close by, by doing that. If you'd love to pray, I encourage you to do that and I'll close us in prayer.
God today. out to them and to love them. 